Hey there. Craig is today's guest on the podcast, and this is one of the episodes where we're discussing men's mental health. I, uh, I met Craig on TikTok, oh, probably around the, sometime during the holidays, so sometime around Christmas, and um, I just, I, I love his underlying message, I love his delivery, uh, he's pretty much, he's everywhere, he's on TikTok, Instagram, he's got a podcast, really, um, really, really an insightful guy, uh, and really just, I, again, I, I love his nature, and I think you guys are too, I do have his his uh, everywhere link uh, linked up in the uh, in the show notes here. So while you're listening, if you're not connected with him already, I do encourage you to please do that. And without further ado, here's Craig. So one of the things that I find really fascinating, Craig, when I start, the, the more guys I talk to that are kind of in our age range, these these '80s babies. Um, is just how disconnected we were from our emotions as men and then mental health in general growing up. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your experience growing up with and how mental health was presented? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, you know, being an 80s baby, I definitely relate to what you're saying. Um, for me, you know, I, I, I noticed this through one of your TikTok videos actually, but I'm just turned 45 this year, but I can't recall my dad showing any kind of emotion towards me except for anger. And it was usually anger that was directed towards me for, you know, some silly thing I did when I was a kid. Um, but even thinking about things like, you know, my grandmother, his mom passing away in 2008. Um, I mean, you could kind of tell he was sad, but, you know, there wasn't really any kind of outpouring of emotion. So there was never really any kind of modeling for me. You know, and my mom was kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say she was overly emotional, but she definitely was better at expressing her emotions. So for me, I kind of got it all from her. There wasn't really much emotion at all from my dad. Well, you and you mentioned that you got it from her. And I think that's actually that's a really strong point to make, because when you think of us growing up, our dads, I think, in most cases, were our role models. That that was our hero. That's who we wanted to be like. I was fortunate enough. Well, awesome. I mean, my dad, much much the same way. Um, underneath everything, a, a very caring guy. You knew he cared, but he never oh, yeah. expressed it. Um, still doesn't really do as much of that to this day. But my, I also had the benefit of of um, I had my, my mom was more emotional, and my grandmother was in my life as well. And she was, it, it was kind of modeled through that. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If you didn't have a strong mother showing you how to do this and strength takes so many different forms, you, you're kind of just left lost. And, you know, you mentioned that you did get some of the, um, you know, the, the, it was modeled for you through your mom, but how, when did this stuff start to change? When did you start to realize that, okay, emotions are real and I need to figure out how I can express them? You know, it, it honestly wasn't really until, gosh, it was later in life, probably not until I actually got separated from my wife, um, i say about 2009. So, you know, it was actually relatively more recently and within like the last 13, 14 years, um, you know, as I mentioned, my dad not really showing anything, um, 
I just sort of, I think, internalized it, not even, you know, consciously, just sort of that, you know, men were just so, support is supposed, su- supposed to be tougher. Um, we just kind of, you know, bottled everything up, shut it down. We just kept going day to day just because that's what we had to do. Um, but, you know, going through a divorce separation, it's a pretty catastrophic event for anyone. And I was going through just a lot in general. And the old ways of just shoving it all down and bottling it up, um, it was just eating me alive and I couldn't continue to do it. And, you know, I'm trying to think back of ways that I might've learned when I was younger to release it. And there was just nothing there. Um, You know, when I was a kid, like any other kid, you know, if I got hurt or I was upset, you know, I would cry. But, you know, as I got older, looking at my dad, I was like, well, that didn't seem like the appropriate thing to do because, you know, we're supposed to be tough guys. We're supposed to make it through. We're supposed to soldier on and keep going. So that didn't seem like the right thing to do. Um, You know, I was never a violent person. So, you know, I'm not going to go out and start fights and was never overly physical. So I wasn't going to, you know, handle things that way. So I needed to figure out a better way to do it. And I didn't really have anywhere to turn. So I just had kind of had to, you know, trial and error and figure things out on my own until, you know, I started doing research and figuring things out that way. So, and you mentioned going through your divorce. And I think at least as what I'm figuring out, having gone through mine, um, you know, you really have to ask yourself questions because it's, it's not just the, it can't just be one person that ends a marriage. Like there's things that lead up on both sides. And I think it's a, it's something where you really just have to start reflecting. Like, what is it, what is it that I contributed to this? And Mm -hmm. then how do I have to change not only in relationships in the future, but like as a person um, was going, and, and the reason I'm asking this question is you're very open in your content about life after divorce. Um, but that process, how did going through the divorce really help you kind of find yourself and then get to a point to where you can express how you feel? Um, it was, it, it seems strange to say it. Um, and anytime anybody asks me this, I, it, it always gets a strange look whenever I answer, but it was something that I really needed. Um, I, I think that, like you said, it, a relationship takes two. Um, there's responsibility on both sides. And even though there can be an event or sort of a catalyst that sort of makes everything end. There are activities and behaviors that kind of get you to that point. So after I sort of, I guess, had a little bit of time and space to gather my feelings and emotions and sort of get on a more level ground, I was able to take a more, a more uh, thoughtful and reasonable approach and kind of look back and say, okay, how did things go from you know, this is going to be my forever. We're going to have the happy family and white picket fence and all that stuff to, all right, it just sort of fell apart. It doesn't just happen overnight. You know, it, it kind of slowly erodes and dissipates. So I was able, I've always been really good at sort of introspection and kind of looking back and being honest with myself and, you know, just kind of being patient. And, you know, once I was able to get to a, a place where I was more comfortable and settled down emotionally, I was able to take a a clear look back and say, okay, there were, you know, red flags in the beginning that I didn't really take heed of. um, And there was things that I definitely could have done better. And, you know, things that I'm still, that I've been in relationships since then, you know, I've been able to say, all right, I've, I've gotten better at this. 
some things are still a challenge that I'm still working on to this day. Um, and some things where I'll get off to a good start and then just kind of backslide into um, just because it's sort of, you know, like conditioned behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And I, well, I think, and so much of what you mentioned there, I think is true, but, I, and I think a lot of times guys have a hard time expressing it. And the first thing that you said that caught my eye there was you're like, well, once my emotions calm down, which means mm -hmm. you have to admit to yourself that you're an emotional person, which gets back to this whole thing that we grew up with that men don't have emotions, men don't express and men don't do any of this stuff. And I, and I like that you also mentioned the backslide because it doesn't matter how much personal development you do. It doesn't matter if you're going to therapy, you're still, you're a human being. These emotions that you have get the best of you. And you mm -hmm. know, you're not always, it's not a linear path. Um, and that's, an, that's another thing. Cause I know you're an advocate for therapy. What has your experience been with that personally? You know, it's been, um, it's been kind of up and down. Um, so I was actually diagnosed with clinical depression and anxiety um, well before I even got together with my now ex-wife. Um, I think the first, I got diagnosed around 2001. Um, and at that time, you know, mental health wasn't really that big of a deal. It wasn't something that was talked about as widely as it is now. Yeah. So you kind of go in and they give you a questionnaire and, you know, I don't know, you know, how valid the questionnaire is. I'm sure they get a, an idea of how things really are. And, you know, I guess if you answer a few questions a certain way, they say, all right, you're depressed and here we go. Um, and that was pretty much it. And then, you know, the first choice was always, okay, we're going to put you on this medication and, you know, off you go. If you want to do therapy, then sure, go ahead. But it's kind of like, you know, the medication's going to fix everything, which you know, got no issue with taking medication. I think, you know, it could definitely be helpful, but I don't think that should be the end all be all for everybody. I think it should just sort of be, you know, sort of a tool in the toolbox, if you will. Um, so I was smart enough to think that, you know, just medication by itself wasn't going to do the trick on its own. So I was going to try and do therapy as well. So mm -hmm. I went and met with a few therapists, um, you know, I'd give each, you know, a few months and see if it worked out. And the first few that I met with um, didn't really have much of an effect. Um, and then I ended up actually moving across country. Um, when I got diagnosed at the time, I lived in Denver, Colorado, um, and I ended up moving back to where I'm from, which is just outside of Washington, D.C. Um, when I moved back to D.C., I just sort of put therapy kind of on the back burner, um, just went, you know, on with my life. I didn't really actually get back into therapy until right around the time that I separated from my wife, which was about, I guess it would have been about six, seven years after moving back to DC. Um, and I had a better experience with therapy then. Um, and I, I kind of realized that you know, therapy is kind of like a lot of things. Um, you sort of get out of it what you put into it. And it's, it's kind of, it's almost like dating. You have to try a few, some people you click with, some people you don't. Um, it's just sort of like, you know, some people you just have a better relationship with than others. Um, so if you, I guess the overall message is if you meet with some therapists and it doesn't work out, it doesn't mean that therapy doesn't work. It just means that maybe you just need to find somebody that's a better fit for you. So I think two things, and I've, I, I've never, I haven't really heard the therapy put in the, in a comparison and context with dating, but I think you're absolutely right. I think mm -hmm. you do, because it's a relationship. You, yeah. you mm -hmm. have a relationship with your therapist. You're going to have to have a level of trust. You're going to have to have um, a level of just, it, it's, there's a whole rapport with it. And that does take time to develop. Um, and I think just like what you were saying with the medication, 
therapy is a is a tool medication is a tool and it's it's that along with a whole host of other things combined together i i think ends up being kind of the the individualized solution for for each and every every one of us um so you how i came across you as i TikTok, which is how anybody comes across anything these days <laughs> right so like um you know i was i was going through uh, i was going through my divorce and i think you were I don't follow a lot of the relationship accounts on there, but there was just mm -hmm. something about the way that you presented life post divorce uh, that I was just like, this guy makes sense. And then I jumped down your feet a little bit and just the way that social media works, we end up getting connected and have talked. So th this is really our first conversation, but I just, I really, I enjoyed um, your perspective and just kind of the, the approach that you had on things. So how did how did you go from from working through the stuff on your own to deciding you know what I might be able to to help others through social media through podcasting through through all this stuff? Well, actually, when I was going through my divorce and separation, so I, I got separated officially in two thousand nine, and the divorce was finalized in two thousand twelve, and at that time social media wasn't really too big. Um, Facebook was out there, um, but there wasn't really much in terms of Instagram. I think Twitter was out there, but it wasn't really big yet. Um, you know, there was no TikTok yet. I think maybe it might've been something else musically or something else, whatever it might've been at that point, but they weren't big. Um, and I noticed when I was going through my, my situation, um, I was a, really the first person in my group of friends that was going through it. So I didn't really have anybody else to talk with about it. And it's a lonely feeling having to go through that and deal with that. And I didn't really even know anybody else in my family either. And I mean, it's just lonely and it's kind of scary because where I'm from, like my family overall is pretty small and it, I want to say it's dysfunctional, but people don't really communicate that much. And we live like all across the world pretty much. And I'm the only one in my area. So it was pretty much just me and at the time, my one and a half year old daughter. So I didn't really have anybody else to really communicate or talk to about it. And at the time, I just remember thinking, man, I wish there was like some kind of support group or some kind of mentor or just anybody I could reach out to to talk to. And I did some Googling and there wasn't really much. Um, I ended up finding after a few years, there was a single parent group in my area that I got connected with, which was great. I met some good friends there. Um, and I actually tried to, to blog about it a couple times, but never really gained any steam with it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, things just kind of clicked for me in 2019. Um, I was in a much better place. I had done a lot of work on myself, um, gained a lot of perspective and healing and just just sort of gone through life a lot better. And my daughter had grown up some more and I did, had experience with that. And I just thought, you know, now's a good time. Um, you know, there's TikTok, there's Instagram. I feel like it's much easier to get a message out now. And I just thought, you know, divorce rates seem to be going up almost yearly. And, you know, even if I can just help one person, just help them find somebody that can relate to what they're going through. I feel like I would be successful to do that. So I just started posting a bunch of stuff on Instagram, um, just about being a single dad and making it through and just, you know, just trying to reach pretty much any divorced person. And then from there, I just kind of shifted towards men because I just felt like men were underrepresented. Um, 
not that there's anything wrong with single moms or divorced women or anything. I just feel like they have more of a support system for them and more outreach for them than men. I mean, being a man, you can relate. I just feel like we don't generally reach out and ask for help um, when we need it. We just kind of suffer in silence. So I felt like, well, if nobody's going to reach out and ask for help, maybe if I put myself out there and say, hey, guys, I've been through this. I've gone through the pain and done the work and, you know, I've struggled and, you know, still struggle from time to time. Maybe people will reach out and, you know, slowly but surely I've had people reach out here and there and just say, oh, man, you know, I'm going through this or I went through it as well. And I understand. And like you said, too, like, oh, yeah, I can totally relate to that. And, you know, just it's worked out so far. So I just figured yeah, if it was reaching people, I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah. And I think that's the that's the thing. When you start putting a message out, um, you never know who's hearing it or how people are responding and then you start getting some messages here and there and they're like okay i should definitely keep doing this because i mean you're you, you are you're helping people get through a process that that they're working through and they don't really know how to how to handle it um you mentioned i do think i and i think men's mental health and especially men's mental health is something that is growing i think it's mm-hmm. starting to get more attention um you mentioned you mentioned representation and representation on TikTok. I found very, very fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. And this is just in general, um, there's just stereotypes. And especially if you're, um, you know, if you're divorced, if you're single, if you're dating and you get on that side of TikTok, you're going to see that there are representations of their stereotype representations of age, gender, and all of it. Um, <laughs> how do you, how do you view the way that people are represented on TikTok, I guess, 15 second clips at a time, like one 15 second clip at a time. I mean, I think it's hard because you can't really get much context in that kind of a clip. And I feel that, I mean, you can tell a lot of people are just sort of going for the, you know, the viral, the viral hot take. Um, It's let's let's say something that's going to drive up views and get comments and likes and just get conversations started, which which is interesting sometimes, because if you go through some of the comments, like there actually are some thoughtful conversations in some posts. Um, But then at other times uh, you just sort of get the impression like, man, anybody who's ever been dumped by anybody was dating a narcissist or was married to a narcissist. And it's kind of like, really? Like, I'm pretty sure not every, you know, everybody who's been dumped, you know, was with a narcissist. It's kind of like, I'm pretty sure there's not that many out there. I mean, you know, sometimes you just were with, you know, a jerk or, you know, an a-hole, I guess (laughs) it does happen. But that just sort of seems to be like the thing. And there's so many accounts for like, I don't know, narcissist abuse and all this other stuff. And sometimes I look at some of the videos and I'm like, what you're describing is not a narcissist. That's like a psychopath. That's (laughs) completely different, different end of the spectrum. Well, and the other thing that I thought that I that I found that's really kind of funny, and you do have some um, some degreed, licensed um, professionals on there, but you also have a lot of people that just send their videos. They're like, "Trust me, I'm a counselor," and then you go to their profile. There is no representation of any kind of real qualifications. Oh yeah. But to the point they've had a couple of videos go viral, and they've gained a following. And it's interesting because in in today's world a lot of people will look at the following on social media more so than the actual credentials of the person. So it's, it's a whole, it's wild out there. Yeah. There's another one too. Um, 
you'll have somebody who doesn't rep represent themselves as like a therapist or anything like that, but you can tell they're in therapy, but they'll come and present a point that is based on something that is related to something they're struggling with. And they don't give you the context of what it is, but they'll sort of lay it out as like, this is the gospel. And you're like, that's kind of messed up advice if you don't give the context of what it is, because that's not going to work for everybody, what you're saying. And you look at yeah. the following and they've got, you know, maybe quarter of a million followers. Yeah. And you're like, oh, man, there's a lot of people that are kind of impressionable that are going to look at this. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, it's a great idea. But then you're like, that's going to backfire if you do that. Well, totally. I, I think one, because, um, well, I'll make the first point here. We're like, I, I've noticed where people are putting out statements and they'll just put in front of it. Well, my therapist said, or mm -hmm. a therapist said, I've even heard. It's like, it's not even firsthand to them. Um, but yeah, it, context is everything. And the other thing is I think I, I love, I love that we're getting more of a push towards mental health. I love that therapy is becoming more accepted. And I know that's something you said in your, in your um, responses to the, the questions that I had for you, um, that it is becoming more normalized. But the other thing I think is kind of back to what we were talking about before with therapy, people do look at it as, well, if I'm in therapy, it's a fix, but it's like you said, it's about the kind of, it's about the work that you put into it. Right. And the relationship that you build. So that, that's the other thing I'm concerned about is if people are like, well, I'm just going to do therapy, but Therapy, it takes finding the right therapist, it takes building that relationship, and it takes doing a lot of work. So um, yeah, it's, it's not a hundred, it's not a 100% fix itself either. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about, because I, I, you know, what we were talking about is how we grew up in our generation, and men did not express their feelings. Now, and didn't really model this. Now, you, you did mention your daughter. And this is one thing that you really want to do is you want to model how to, how to express emotions, how to, to really, um, you know, be an example on all this stuff for your daughter. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's actually, um, it, it's sort of a fine line actually, because on the one hand, you kind of have to model, well, not kind of, you definitely have to model a healthy way to show emotions. But then on the other hand, on the days where you're really struggling and you're just going through it, you also have to be stable in front of them. Like you can't lose it and show them that, you know, I'm about to break down. So you have to, you have to kind of compartmentalize things. Um, so it's been kind of a fine line um, because you also have to remember that they're sponges, they pick up everything. And again, because, you know, there is certain maturity that comes with certain ages the slightest offhand comment, you know, even if you're just saying something sarcastically or just make it as a joke, that's something that they can take with them for the rest of their lives and internalize, even if that's not the way you intended it. Um, so you have to be really careful. Um, you know, I just try and reiterate to her that, you know, her feelings are valid. They should never just be swept under a rug. Um, you know, if she's feeling a certain way, um, you know, especially with me, you know, if I've made her feel a certain way that it needs to be communicated. Now, granted, you know, if it's, she's being punished for something and she's angry, you know, that's a little bit different, but you know, we can sit and have a conversation about it, but it's not the correct behavior to scream and rage at the same time. You know, she can say, well, I'm feeling frustrated because of this. 
and then we can sit and have a discussion about it. She doesn't have to just sit and, I don't know, you know, give me the silent treatment for two days because, you know, she didn't get her way about something. So just, it's sort of like, I'm, I guess I'm trying to model it's sort of emotional control. Like there's a difference between bottling things up and then being in control of your emotions. So. Yes. No, I definitely, I, I definitely agree. And that, that in itself is a fine line because a lot of times if you're not expressing your emotions, the way that a lot of folks were raised, they would think that's being in control, then bottling them up and not expressing them as being in control. But then what you find out when you get into your thirties and forties is those emotions take over and you are absolutely not in control. And I think you're right. I think, you know, you have to model appropriate behavior and appropriate behavior is contextual to whichever situation you're in at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's not just, it's not just breaking and, you know, you do have to show that you're strong and dependable, um, especially when we're talking about kids and adolescents and teenagers. Um, so, yeah. I mean, so with, with all of this, because I know you're getting back into podcasting, you're doing the stuff on social media. What do you see for yourself um, with your content and, and think for the next, probably over the next few months, what are you thinking that you'll be getting into? Yeah, I think I'm just going to keep doing more of what I'm doing. Um, I actually just got married for a second time last July. So I've, the thing for me is I've always been like, I just want to show myself as like the example, like I, I've gone through this all um, while I don't know the perfect answer or have the answer for everything, I can relate. Um, I can help people figure out ways to get through. And the thing that I want to do on my podcast is just share other people's stories, because I feel like the more people you can get to share, the more people you can get to open up. So that's one of the things I want to present. Um, I also just want to share things that have worked for me, um, whether it be as a parent, as a dad, you know, to a daughter or just as a dad in general or just things that have helped me when I was in some of my lower moments or, you know, things that, you know, helped me get through the divorce and things like that. Um, and I'll still stay on TikTok too, trying to not give bad advice to in my eight second snippets, <laughs> no, <you laughs> things like a, that. You do, a, you do a really good job. And I see you, I mean, and it's tough because you've got, you've got messages that you try to get out, but then you've got to also play with what's trending and what, what people are doing like a TikTok. Right very, very complex. So, well, I'll tell you what, and I, and as I mentioned to you guys in the intro, I do have Craig's um, social links and his podcast link in the show notes here for you. So if you have not followed him on TikTok and Instagram while we were talking, go ahead and do that. And then um, what I always say with the podcast calls is I always like to have kind of these open-ended things where we can come back and have another conversation. And I think you and I can have multiple conversations around this stuff. And I, I just, I think you're doing really good work. I, I I think you're very helpful. You're very thoughtful and you've certainly helped me through a lot of stuff. So. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I feel like we could definitely have a lot of conversations about it. Many things. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll talk again soon. Okay. All right. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It was nice to meet you. Yeah. Nice meeting you too.